in Freedom House Church. How is everybody today? I am so glad to be here with you. For those of you who may be new to Freedom House, uh, we are not a video venue church. What does that mean? It means that my husband and I don't just pop up on a screen and be a screen and beam out to all of our campuses. We have a live, fresh word from God at every single campus, and that is how God has told us to do church. Because if you're going to watch it on TV, you might as well just stay home. Just saying. So we like real people in real pulpits because we always want the smell of the sheep to be on our clothing. It's not just about packing people into a building. It is about doing life with people and encountering people and being in the lobby and rubbing shoulders with people. That is what it's all about. So that is what we do here at Freedom House. And as we saw on the bumper that just played, Freedom House is not just what is here within the walls of the church. As a matter of fact, we have people right now from all over the world that are joining us from Florida, North Carolina, South Carolina, New Jersey, Ohio, Kentucky, Virginia, Georgia, Michigan, New Hampshire, Indiana, Maryland, and the Netherlands, and we can't forget the UK. Welcome. We are so glad that you are tuning in today. Perfect example of God's church. Now, I want to kick this off by just saying this. The church has always been God's plan A. Always. From the very beginning, when you saw the Israelites with a tent that was movable because they were on the move uh, headed towards the promised land, what you never heard God say is, hey, everyone each dwell in your own tent and just, you know, talk to me there. He always had them coming together no matter where they were. Now, the church has gone through different phases, so when when Jesus left and he charged his disciples with looking after things, they initially started in houses because they were persecuted, they were threatened to be killed. But even so, you always see where the church of God was gathering. It was very important. You saw Jesus always in the temple. He was always worshiping, even though he knew that things in the temple weren't perfect. He still went. Isn't that amazing? He could have just stayed home because we know he had a relationship with God. He could have just stayed home if that's all there was to it, stayed home and just said, hey, God, I know it's you and me. I don't need all these other people. But that wasn't God's design. And I, I want to liken it to what Jesus likened it. When, when the Bible talks about the church, they liken it uh, the, the Trinity likens it to us being married. It likens to a marriage. So I want to say that today, that marriage is also God's plan A, even when people don't get it right. You understand? It's always been God's design, even when people mess it up. So what I want you to understand today is there are people that would tell you as we kick off this series, I don't need to go to church because I am the church. And what I would say to you is those are people who have been hurt. Those are people who have been offended. 
And those are people who are withdrawing because of that. There is nowhere in the Bible that says that because you have been hurt or somebody bothered you at church or maybe a leader hurt you, you will never see in the Bible anywhere where it says, do not go to church because of that. But so many of us have based decisions. Maybe some of you are just now coming back to church because of what a previous church did. So many people base personal relationships and things that didn't go right, and we lay that on God's shoulders. And that is not God's fault that some of our earthly relationships didn't work out, but we can't ever use that as an excuse to not worship him because he didn't hurt us. But oftentimes what we do is when we get hurt, we withdraw and we pull back because those people at that church weren't perfect. I'm really glad that my husband this month will be celebrating 30 years of marriage. There is no way that in 30 years of marriage that his bride, my husband's bride, me, has not hurt him, has not disappointed him, has not done things that I shouldn't have done. That is part of life because on this side of eternity, we are all human beings. Now, I am not justifying what church leaders have done, what people have done to hurt you. My husband and I grew up in a lot of that ourselves. We've seen it. We are not justifying that. We are not letting people off with a a free pass. But what we are saying is that any church that you go to, once you show up, is no longer perfect. And so somehow... We've all got to learn and we've all got to adjust because if there's a whole bunch of people that are like porcupines bumping into each other and we're getting stuck all the time, we've got to figure out how to do this and do it in a healthy way. God is not asking for us to be perfect, but he is saying, listen, I have given you the tools to work things out and you need to work things out. A healthy church, you should be able to have conversations and come to resolutions. You hearing me today? It's the same in a marriage. Irreconcilable differences is the number one reason why people cite as getting divorced. We should be able, there is nothing that two healthy people should not be able to work through. Do you hear me on that? The problem herein lies is that not everything is healthy. And so that is the goal, is that we get healthy and we be the church that Jesus wants us to be. We be the bride that is without spot, that is without wrinkle. Now listen, I understand. Let's take Freedom House. When you get thousands of people together in one place, there's gonna be some rubbing of shoulders that happens and there's gonna be disagreements that happen. But our job is to work those disagreements out, to have the conversations we need to have, to not get jaded, to not get cynical, to not get bitter. Because when we get in that place, then we become ineffective Christians. We become impotent. And we are no longer able to birth what God wants us to birth. So he is wanting to take a look at our hearts today 
and find out what exactly is his design for the church. And in particular, what I'm going to talk about is the New Testament church. Now, I've heard a lot of people say that, you know, well, I'm just a part of the great big church, therefore I don't need a local church. Because, see, the church isn't bound by walls. Well, let's not take things out of context. Let's talk about what the church is. The big C church and the little C church. Let's start with the little C church. The little C church would be the local church. It would be Freedom House Church. If this is the church where you attend, the local church is Freedom House Church. It consists of a local body of believers. We gather together regularly and we lift up the name of Jesus. It is an actual place with actual people. Let's talk about the Big C Church, and this is where people can get off a little bit, okay? So I want to correct some theology. People sometimes say, well, I'm a part of the Big C Church, so I don't need to be a part of the Little C Church. Well, I would contend and tell you, you're not part of the Big C Church if you're not part of the local church, What do I mean by that? No, the church is not bound by walls. But what that means is it means the local church is mobile. It means we are mobile and here we are going out, making sure that church isn't just what happens in our four walls. But it's just not some ethereal big C church out there. It's all of the believers that are collective in Jesus worldwide. Now, some of you might say, well, I don't need to be a Christian to go to church. And you know what? Technically, you're right. But, husbands, you don't need to go home to your wife to be married to her. But I can guarantee you what? It's not going to be a very good marriage. And that relationship probably won't last long. Why? Because you need to be at home. It's the same thing with being a Christian. We need to be at home. That's why this is called Freedom House. This is a place where all of us can gather together. Now, 78 times in the New Testament, the word church is mentioned. 78 times. And so for those who would say, well, I'm just a part of the big movement, the big C church. Let me just explain to you that out of those 78 times, 58 are referencing being a part of the local church. 58 of them. Only 20 are about the universal church or about the church when it leaves the building. Now, some might say, well, well, in China, what about in China where you can't have churches and they still meet, they meet underground? Well, well, what about in the New Testament where where they met in houses? They met in houses because they were being persecuted. And as we're going to read in Acts, that they broke out of that. They weren't meant to be a small little us for no more group. That's not what God designed and that's not what God intended. And I hear a lot of people kind of like down and on megachurches. Listen, megachurches are not the issue. The size of the church is not the issue The issue is the pastor that's leading the church. Because I can promise you, when we had 30 people in our church, Troy and I were in the lobby talking with people, going out to eat after church and hanging out. And now that we have multiple campus 
campuses and we have thousands of people in the church, we still do the same thing. It has absolutely nothing to do with the size of the church. Because we like to say we're a small church with a whole lot of people. It has to do with your heart and the design of what you want to see accomplished. It is not about being the megachurch pastor. It is not about being popular. It's not about getting all these likes on your social media or having the, you know, the best reel out there. And unfortunately, sometimes things have turned into that because people's egos have come into play. That is not God's design either, and I believe he's doing a really good job over the last few years of cleaning out pulpits, and I don't think he's finished. So understand, what God is asking of us is he is asking for us to step up in his church. He is asking for us to be leaders in his church, be on the front lines of his church. But some would say, listen, listen, I, I am not sure that I can lead because there are things in my life that I, I just, I haven't walked through yet. I don't have all the experience. And it, listen, God is not looking for perfection. Progression, not perfection, is the goal of Christians. A healthy church is where people know they need forgiveness and they are quick to ask for it. We are not asking you to walk into the doors of these, you know, this building and say, we immediately, we're introducing you to God and you need to be perfect. That is unrealistic. But what we will hold your feet to the fire on here at Freedom House Church is progression. We will ask you, even if they are baby steps, we will ask you to take those. Now, I want to explicitly today talk about the New Testament church, what the New Testament church looks like. And in order to do that, I'm going to start in Acts because that's where the New Testament church is found. That's the model for what the New Testament church is. That's where it was birthed. And Luke, who is a physician, is the one who wrote the book of Acts. Now, in Acts chapter 1, what we see happening is we see Jesus on the scene, and he had, he had been raised from the dead, and he's appearing to his disciples, and he is saying to them, listen, I want you to know that I've got to go away, but as I go away, I am not leaving you ill-equipped. As a matter of fact, the things that you've seen me do, you're actually going to do greater. Why is that? Because as I go, I am leaving you with the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father. And the Holy Spirit, not long from now, will be coming to visit you. And because of that Holy Spirit, you will be endued with power from on high. And that is what is going to set you apart. So that is what Jesus says to his disciples in reference to the New Testament church. It was not to make them prominent. It was not to make them famous. It wasn't to get more likes. It wasn't so they could get a book deal. It was so the name of Jesus could be lifted high. 
People have asked me before, because I've uh, penned three books now. They're like, why do you give all the money that, that comes in from your books back out to feeding people or homeless or sex trafficking? Why do you, sit, why do you not receive a dime of that? And I said, I, there's nothing wrong with that. Please understand, there's nothing wrong with putting in work and, and being paid for that. But I always want to make sure that my heart is right and I am not doing something for a book deal. That I am doing something because I want to be a blessing to the body of Christ. That the mantle that is on my life, that I make sure that I give that away. And please understand, I'm not, I'm not one of those that believes that Christians should be poor and you should be saying, oh me, woe is me all the time. I'm not talking about that either. But what I am saying is I believe the heart behind the calling is very important. It's extremely important. And here we have the disciples listening to Jesus and he's telling them, listen, the comforter, the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father is coming to you in just a few days. And he's coming to give you power from on high. As a matter of fact, that word that is used is the word dunamis. It's the Greek word dunamis, which means power. It's the word from which we get dynamite. So Jesus is setting them up in a good way. He's saying, church, this is what you need. You need power from the Holy Spirit. And then... They watched him go up in the clouds, literally watched Jesus get taken away into the clouds. But the thing that I think is so important is what Jesus is saying about the Holy Spirit. And he didn't just say it, he demonstrated it first. Before Jesus even stepped into his earthly ministry, the power of the Holy Spirit came and fell upon him like a dove. So he's saying, listen, I've done this first. Now I'm telling you that as you go step into the next level of what I have for you, you also need to be anointed by the Holy Spirit with power in your life. That's a pretty awesome thing. So what happens? There's 120 of the disciples. They are gathered in an upper room. And it's Acts chapter 2. And it says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. Now, I don't have time to teach today in this message about the infilling of the Holy Spirit and all that happens along with that. But what I would do is, if you're online watching, you can go on Amazon. There is a great book that you can study along with the book of Acts. It's called The God I Never Knew. It's by Robert Morris. For those of you who are in here today, if you want a deeper revelation and understanding of the Holy Spirit, 
please go over into SALT, which is our resource area, and get that book, The God I Never Knew. It will help you understand why you need the Holy Spirit in your life. Why you need it operating specifically in the times that we are living in. Because in Acts chapter 2, these Christians were being persecuted. That's why they were in the upper room meeting. They were meeting in houses because to meet publicly was death. So here they are. They're hiding out. But something happens. They're hiding out, but the Holy Spirit falls on top of them. As tongues of fire come down on them. And the thing that I love when I'm reading that is they were all together. They were in one place and something incredible happens. They were all passionate believers gathered together who were empowered by the Holy Spirit. You want to know how to change a city, how to change a state, how to change a country? It's when we gather together passionate believers who love Jesus with all of their heart. They're unified. They have one purpose and they're all submitted to the Holy Spirit That's how you change a country. That's how you turn a country back to God. It starts with one little group of people. Here it's 120 when the Holy Spirit falls. And I love how if you read through the book of Acts, it's constantly talking about unity, unity, gathered together, one accord. That is the theme, but it's all around power. We are to all walk in that power, but not use it to draw people to look at us. It's not about our skinny jeans and sipping lattes and quoting something that's, you know, let's drop this quotable tweet so it can go out. It's not about that. And somewhere along the lines, this celebrity preacher thing started like coming into play where I'm too concerned with how many followers I have. I will lose followers if I say what really needs to be said. May we be concerned that the one follower who we need to be following is pleased and we're concerned about us following him and not those who are on our social media. This is awesome because the Bible says that when they began to speak in other tongues, that they were all from different places and they spoke in their native tongues. So that lets me know right there that unity and diversity are possible. But they were all yielded to the power of the Holy Spirit. They weren't focusing on their background or where they came from or the color of their skin or I'm a guy, you're a girl. They were focused on the power of the Holy Spirit that didn't just sit on some. It rested on them all. And Peter is the first one, you know, the one who had denied Jesus three times. He's the one that gets up and begins to just go for it. And prophesy over the people. And he says, listen, I know you guys are looking at us, wondering what's going on with these crazy people. But we're not drunk as you suppose. We are actually drunk on the Holy Ghost. 
It's the Holy Ghost that is causing us to step out and be bold like we are. We're not drunk like you're thinking. I mean, come on, guys. It's only 9 a.m. Who's drunk at 9 a.m.? No, no, we've got this power. And he begins to tell them of what they had done to Jesus and crucifying him. And he said, you did this to our Lord. You beat him. You put him on a cross. You did all of these things. And I'm thinking, man, Peter's pretty strong. But you see, the reason he was able to speak so boldly and he didn't cower back and step back is because he had dealt with things in his life that he needed to deal with. He didn't let, because he had rejected Jesus too, but he dealt with it. So it didn't hold him back from literally prophesying over everyone else. See, my counselor told me, use I statements. Not say you, 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 but that's what Peter does. He said, you did this. You didn't believe in him. You crucified him and you... You let the murderer go because he's at a point now he doesn't care anymore. He's not hiding out by the fire when everybody's asking him, hey, do you know this Jesus? Oh, no, I don't know. You see, he first dealt with it in his own life, and now he's able to publicly stand up and declare who God is. And notice Jesus used an imperfect man to build his church on. He used an imperfect man. So many of us think we can't be used because we're imperfect. Now, what I didn't say is I didn't say immoral. There is no place for immorality to be in the church, and we need to get it out. We can't call out the world if we've got something living amongst ourselves. And that's part of the reason some of us have shrunk back And we don't say what needs to be said because we haven't dealt with our own issues. What I'm asking you to do is very clearly in the Bible, it doesn't say to don't take the the speck out of your brother's eye. It actually says, yeah, you're to take the speck out of your brother's eye once you remove the log from your own. It's not saying don't judge. It's saying we should be looking after each other, but make sure that you get the big old board out of your own eye first, and then you can see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. The problem is, is we've got to make sure that we're a church that is cleaned up, not perfect. I know some of you on the way here, you had intense fellowship with your spouse driving over. I get it. I understand. I'm not talking about disagreements. I'm not, I'm talking about immorality. There is a difference. Something happens in Acts chapter 3. In Acts chapter 3, there's this huge turning point that happens. Because in Acts chapter 2, they were gathered together in one accord. And they were hanging out in the upper room. But in Acts chapter 3, it takes a whole big turn. It says, now Peter and John went up together to the temple. You know, the temple where all these other things had been preached for so long, where they wanted to put Jesus on the cross, where they were stoning Christians, the temple. They take this message and they go up together 
Notice together to the temple at the hour of prayer, which was the ninth hour, which was about 3 p.m. And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried. Now listen, they'd already seen Jesus heal people. And they know he was threatened. He was chased out of town. And they tried to kill him. So what do they do? They're like, all right, we're the church now. We're not going to hide up in an upper room. We weren't meant to just be a house church. We were meant to take this global. So they see a man who's lame from his mother's womb, and he was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms for those who entered the temple, who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked for alms, and fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and he lifted him up and immediately, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he leaping up stood and walked and entered the temple with them, which previously he was considered unclean, was not allowed to go into the temple, walking, leaping, and praising God. And the people saw him walking and praising God. Peter and John were now carrying out the vision that God had for the church it was no longer this little club where we sit around by the fire and we're, we're roasting fish and eating bread. And it's just this little club hanging out. No, no, no. It's going public now. How many times have we said, you know, I just, I liked it when we just had one service. I liked it before the church grew, before it got bigger. When we met in the little old dumpy elementary school, Years ago, you would be surprised that people actually got upset when we grew and had a building and we got bigger. Why? Because, see, it wasn't about the gospel getting bigger. Somehow they had made it all about them. We should want the church to grow. Things that are healthy grow. We want the church to grow, but we don't want it to grow in an unhealthy way because if you came and you banged my knee right now, it would swell and it would grow, but it's not healthy. Just because it's swollen and it's grown doesn't mean it's healthy. God doesn't want a swollen church. He wants a healthy church. It's not about just our seating capacity, but our sending capacity. And it's very important that we understand that because we can't make the church all about us. I had a lady tell me one time when I asked her, she told me her and her husband were called to be missionaries. And uh, she told me the country that it was. And, you know, she really wanted us as a church to support them. And it was um, Taiwan. And I said, well, hey, you know, why don't you, they were planning on leaving in about a year. And I said, well, why don't you get involved in the church? Why don't you get involved in a, a life group or why don't you serve somewhere? And she goes, you know, I've got little children. And so when I come to church, I just like to sit and exhale and I don't want to do anything. And I'm sitting there going, 
how in the heck are you going to be a missionary in Taiwan? And you are overwhelmed to the point where you just want to come sit in church so you can breathe. I thought, how much work do we need to do before she goes out to Taiwan on the mission field? All of us should have our hand to the plow somewhere. It's not just enough to come and get our stuff and, oh, feed me, feed me, feed me. We shouldn't be sitting in the high chairs, grown adults, with our mouth open going, feed me, feed me, or as my husband calls it, the eye chair. We shouldn't be doing that anymore as grown adults. We should be putting our hand to the plow. And listen, I realize some people aren't out front leading because of fear. That they like, you know, I don't, I just put me in the background. I don't want to, I don't want to be in the limelight. How many of these guys were thrust into the limelight? Listen, please understand. I think that as Christians, we should not be afraid of the limelight, nor should we be tempted by it. And what I have seen is I have seen those two extremes take more people out than anything else. Either a desperate need to be seen because pride has to be seen. A desperate need to be seen not to carry out the call or fulfill what God has called, but but feeling a father wound. Needing that attention, needing that approval that maybe we didn't get growing up. Ministry is not the place to fix your father wounds. But I tell you what, ministry will expose your father's wounds. It doesn't disqualify you from ministry because you have father wounds, or in my case, mother and father wounds. What it does mean is God will put his finger on it and he will require that you deal with it. That's what he did for me. That's why I wrote the book, Setting Broken Bones, because I was a broken, hot mess. There are still things because my family was not doing what they needed to do in my life that were overlooked as a child. There are still things, residue, that will come up that I have to make sure that I crucify on the cross. But fear being afraid of the limelight, or pride, needing the limelight. Both of those will take you out. And you have to be very careful because when God's anointing falls on your life, it is attractional. And if you are not secure in who you are with the Lord, you will think that somehow it's your glory and it's not. As a matter of fact, Peter was walking down the street and people started getting healed by his shadow. But he knew it wasn't really his shadow. It was abiding in the shadow of the Almighty. And we have to be very careful that we point back to Jesus at all times. They could have easily hidden because what happens? Peter and John get thrown in jail for this miracle. They get beaten. They get thrown in jail. And what happens? Peter and John... They had spent time with Jesus. They had heard Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount say, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you. Falsely, for my name's sake, rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 
and they persecuted Jesus. There is no way that as a New Testament believer, you are avoiding persecution if you are speaking up. There's no way. It's not possible. Peter is so bold in Acts that he has lost all of his people-pleasing ways. As a matter of fact, he said he wasn't going to hide because he also knew what Jesus said. He said, you, he's talking to the church, are a light of the world, a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. Peter was not going to stand around warming his hands by the fire and denying Jesus like he had done before. He took this public and he was the first to stand up in boldness because the Holy Spirit power was on him. A bold Christian is a New Testament Christian. A bold church is a New Testament church that knows how to operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. I was at a friend's house, and she had built this beautiful 7,500-square-foot home, and she had all the bells and whistles in it. And for those of you that know, um, two of my books I wrote were cookbooks. So, And I, I used to do a television show, a cooking show. I very much love cooking. So you know what part of the house your girl wanted to see. Take me to the kitchen. Let me see your kitchen. And I'm looking in her kitchen. I'm looking at all her high-end appliances. I'm running my hand down that wolf stove, checking, look at all the burners and everything. Her kitchen was amazing. And I was staying with her for a week, and I said to her, what are we going to cook? Let's get in the kitchen. And you know what she says to me? I don't cook. I said, then why in the world did you pay such a price for all of this? Tens of thousands of dollars. Why did you pay such a big price if you won't ever even use it? Because somehow we can make it about looks and not for use. The Holy Spirit, there was a big price paid to deliver the Holy Spirit to you. And it's not just about looks. It's not for show. It's for use. And as the New Testament church, we need to use the power of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 4.13, it says that, they with confidence, that Peter and John had confidence and they understood, the people who were watching understood they were uneducated and untrained, but they were amazed and they began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. Listen, when the Holy Spirit is on you, there will be a boldness and a confidence that is undeniable. I love this what happened next because in verse 18, shortly after that, because they were out there preaching again when they had gotten released, they severely beat them again. 
And they threatened them, do not ever speak of this name Jesus again. And we go down to verse 23. And what happened after they'd been beaten multiple times? I just compare this. We get upset because maybe our boss asked us to tone it down on social media. Or maybe our friend that we go to school with didn't like what we said. Maybe they didn't like the yard sign we put up. Okay? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all know what yard sign I'm talking about you put up on who, who you wanted to win in 2020. People got mad at you. So what do you do? You take it out. You don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. What did they do here when they endured real persecution? Not just talking about somebody upset with you over the mashed potatoes because your politics is different than their politics or because somebody got their feelings hurt because you posted a scripture that Jesus was the only way and our God is inclusive. He's not exclusive. What did they do? It says, and being let go, they were set free. They went to their own companions. They went to the church and they reported all that had happened to the chief priests and the elders and how they had said to them. So when they heard all that had happened, they raised their voice to God with one accord and they said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. Who by the mouth of your servant David, you said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings and the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. This is his prayer. And he takes it further and he says, Now, Lord, look on their threats and please grant us your servants that you may give us safety. Is that what it says? Are they praying for safety? What are they praying for? Boldness, that they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when he had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the words of God with boldness. That's what the Holy Spirit is for. So we can use what God has given to us and go out and be a bold church. It says, therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech. This is the New Testament church. Great is my confidence in you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I am overflowing with joy in all our affliction and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. Will you stand on your feet with me today? Listen, people's blood will boil when you post things like Jesus is the only way. 
Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. It will make people's blood boil. But guess what? That blood isn't what redeemed you. That blood isn't the blood that saved you. It says in Acts chapter 12, 5, that Peter was therefore put in, he was put in prison again and he was kept in prison. But what happened, constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And then right after that, we see that Paul is converted. Paul changes. Saul, who was persecuting Christians, he was knocked off his high horse and God came in and God changed his life. And then it gives a charge to the leaders of the church. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I want to ask you a question today. Are you a member of his church? Are you a member of his church? Now, when I ask you that question, I'm not talking about are you on the role as a member of Freedom House Church? I'm asking you, are you a role on the member in the Lamb's book of life? The book that Jesus said will be opened when we stand at the gates of heaven. And our name will be looked for in that book to see if it is in that book before we gain entrance. I want to ask you today, is your name on that book, on that role? That's one question I want to ask. The other question I want to ask you is if your name's already in the book, do you have the power of the Holy Spirit that is operating in your life? Are you standing up with that dunamis, that dynamite power that was present in the New Testament church? Are you boldly speaking and declaring for the times that we are in that great is the Lord God and holy is he? God thinks his church is important and he left us the Holy Spirit so we didn't have to back up, we didn't have to shrink down. But when persecution comes, and I know you know it's here, that we are to rise up. That the lion of the tribe of Judah is inside of us and we can let it out. That any shyness that is in there when it comes to witnessing or declaring the gospel will be done away with. That we will walk in boldness. And listen. I also want to speak to the people that have been hurt. And you've been maybe sitting on a back seat for a while from church. Maybe your pastor hurt you. Maybe that's why you're watching online right now because you, you hadn't stepped back in the church. I want to ask you to come back home. Please don't let the fact that someone hurt you keep you away from the big S someone who didn't. He loves you. He's calling you back right now. If everyone in here would just close your eyes and bow your heads. 
If any of the three scenarios, you either want your name on the Lamb's book of life. Maybe you need boldness in your walk. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. And you know you need to be operating in that power of the Holy Spirit. Or maybe you know you need to let go of some hurt today. Any of those situations, would you just lift your hand up in here right now? Just lift it up. Just lift it up. There's freedom in just acknowledging. If you're online, there's a chat bar right there that you can let somebody know that that's you. Here's what I want to do today as we close out today. I just want to pray over all of us. Would the rest of you just lift your hands and join with those who already have it up? Let's just all say this together today as a declaration. Say, Heavenly Father, we come before you today. Because of the shed blood of Jesus, we ask you into our life to wash away our sins. And we ask you, Jesus, for the comforter to come right now into our situation. We ask you for boldness. We ask you for peace. We ask you for that dynamite power that we need to live out these days as the church. Anything that's hurt me or wounded me, I do not hold on to bitterness. I do not hold on to the past, but I release that right now in Jesus' name. Say this, say, I'm free. I am free. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Welcome to Freedom House. Amen.